I wanted to show you all some pictures to start our Sunday. Here's the first one. You ready? Boom. Any of y'all been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody in the room? Man, I've never been. It's breathtaking is what I've heard. Am I right? Like, it's one of those places that when you go, it takes your breath away. It's just amazing the landscape, how God set it all into creation. How about this next one? Take a look at this one. Ah, oh, right? You can just, let's do it together. On account of it's just all this one. Ready? One, two, three. Ah, oh, yeah. There's nothing like just a lake, right? See the snowy mountains in the background? That just means that lake's a good balmy 80 degrees, right? Um, <laughs> but you see how crystal clear it is? That's how water should come out. Um, it's just beautiful. Man, just a mirrored lake. Beautiful. How about this next one? Ah, the stream. Quiet brook running through. You know, trout swimming by. You fishing and catching nothing. <laughs> All these things are breathtaking, aren't they? And maybe you found yourself in one of these places, or maybe you dream about relaxing next to one of these places, or building that home next to one of these places. And you're just... It's breathtaking to you to imagine getting to go there and just spend hours there. Because there is where excitement and relaxation is found. And all these things in our minds are just the masterpiece of a creator. But can I tell you what? None of these things have the image of God. All of these creations wish they could be this. Take a look at this last picture. Well, not that one. Go to the next one. That's, a, that's one of my favorites. Hit the next one for me. That. You are God's creation. Amen. The trees cannot be the image of God. The rocks, the oceans, none of it. The brooks, none of it. None of creation gets to bear the image of God. Just you. Amen. You were created in his image, according to his purpose. So not only do you bear a striking image to your creator, you also get to live in the purpose he gives you. Because of that, we got to do something with our lives. We got to fall back in love with the life that God laid out before us. And it's difficult. And over these next four weeks, we're going to go through what that really looks like. And it's going to seem odd, and I hope that you catch the oddity of it, that a God who creates you doesn't create you for comfort. He creates you for fellowship with him. He creates you so that you would follow in the path that he's made. God created you to look like him. I, I love this part about who God is. So let's just look at it. Second Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to stay right here over the next four weeks in the short part of this passage so that we capture what God's trying to say through the writing of Paul to Timothy and as it applies to us. Paul's writing to Timothy and he's trying to remind him to keep following after Jesus, not to get lost in the church world. The church world does this to Jesus. The church world says you have to look like Jesus, but only if you look like us. And Jesus says, look like me, and then I'll make you look like my bride. How many of you could just say today that going to church growing up 
burns you out on church? Uh, raise your hand. It's okay. We can be, I'm, I'm a preacher's kid. How many could just say, I had a bad view of church growing up? Just the preacher's kids, me and you, buddy. That's okay. Um, that should tell you a lot. Pray for our children. Anyways, the reality is this. Church world is harsh because we attend it. If people weren't involved, the church would look really good, right? But we bring our jacked up selves, and then we encounter other jacked up people. And instead of pointing to Jesus, we point to ourselves. We say things like, well, you're wrong, and let me tell you why I think you're wrong. Instead of going, here's what Jesus says. You capture it yet that, man, I remember growing up, one of my dad's deacons right before he went up to preach, asked him to meet in his office. And this deacon, uh, which by the way, y'all got to meet my dad last week, uh, came into my dad's office and he said two things to him. One, I don't believe you're saved. And two, I believe you should quit the Sunday morning before you preach and walked out of his office. So Sunday morning starts, worship begins to play, and my dad walks in and he smiles at people and shakes their hands, and he preaches a sermon, and we go home. And in our household, we have a deal. It's the same deal I have with April. I feed my family out to eat on Sundays for one reason, because I've asked April to help us and cook for us and do that all week long, and it's her day of rest too, so we, I feed my family out. That was our family's tradition growing up, and that Sunday, we went home, and my dad disappeared for a second. And I'll just tell you, my dad has always been a person of great emotion. I, I love that about him. But that Sunday, when he finally came back out of his bedroom, he had tear-stained face. And as a preacher's kid, I just remember thinking one thing, tell me who it is. Tell me who it is that talked to you. Tell me who it is that hurts you. Because me and the boys, my high school, you know, friend of knuckleheads, we can take them out. Time went on and I learned who it was. I learned the man's name. He showed up every Sunday and smiled at people, came up and shook my dad's hand and gave him stink eye. I sat down the street from that man's house with a pocket knife in my pocket, ready to slash his tires. I'll just be honest with you, I hated that man. I mean, I, I, it took me a long time to pray for him. I wanted to hurt him, because he hurt my dad. And you know what happened in my heart is, I started to hate people in our church because of that man. It made me very callous to people who would walk out of separate doors so they didn't have to say hi to my dad. I watched them. They probably didn't even think about it, but I noticed. I became my dad's bodyguard of sorts. I watched for people. When they come up to talk to my dad real close and quiet, I would sneak up and listen. I don't know why I thought that as a high school kid, my dad needed a high school bodyguard. I mean, what was I going to do? Karate kid him? I, I don't know what I was thinking. But I've told you before, because of that, when I went off to college, I told God I would never be a pastor. People are too mean, God. I mean, they just, man, they show up and they don't even worship you. They're just looking at each other like, oh, well, they sing terrible. That's why I don't sing. <laughs> 
I remember our worship team singing, come now is the time to worship. And seeing a group of men at the front do this. Here it is again. Youth were right behind them. I didn't like the church. And so I went off to DBU. I was in the ministry program because I was going to do something. I was going to lead worship. I was going to work with students, but I would never be a pastor. And I got in my hall, and I woke up that first Sunday to go to church. And in my ministry hall, I was the only kid that got up for church. I remember thinking, we all feel this way. We must all hate church like I do. I got this job at a little church across the pond from DBU, Indian Hills Baptist Church. Uh, The pastor was amazing. Uh, I was the associate youth pastor, which just really meant I was a custodian. Uh, I mean, the youth pastor would be like, hey, let's have confetti night. Kyle, clean up. And I was like, yay, I'm not studying for that test tonight. Uh, And I remember telling that pastor that I loved ministry, but I hated the church. And he said, those don't work. And if you're being honest, church is a bad place sometimes. I mean, we're therapeutic this morning. We're going we're gonna to get to the truth here in a minute. But the problem we have with church is we've made it about us more than Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen on any given Sunday if everybody that showed up on Sunday showed up for the name of Jesus? showed up without anything else but just to honor him no matter what happened. I mean, it wouldn't matter anything else except for the name and praise of Jesus. That's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't let church be about church. Don't let your worship be about preference. Don't let your your service be about preference. Don't let anything that happens in the life of your worship be contained to anything but the name of Jesus. So that when you show up here and when you capture that the mountains wish they were you, that the trees wish that they could sing the name of Jesus like you can, that the rocks wish they were eternal, That the very angels wish that they bear the image of the God that they sing after. But God made you. And he created you for his purpose. So that when you show up in this room, you don't show up powerless. You don't show up wounded. You show up serving and worshiping and Jesus does the rest. Some of y'all come to church to clean off. That's not where you clean off. That's at the feet of Jesus. He does the cleaning. He does the fixing. He does the mending. He does the saving. Jesus, only Jesus. So today when we hear the words of Paul to Timothy and he tells him these harsh thoughts, he's not trying to give him another thing he has to do, but another way to fall in love with a God who's already done all he needed. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 11 says this, The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Today, let's talk about death. It says, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. But what does that mean, church? What does it mean that if we died with him, we'll also live with him? Let's start with this. For if we died with Jesus, this your fill in the blank, we will also live with him. If you die with Jesus, you'll also live with him. So how does that work? How does it work to die? What does that mean? Does it mean a physical death? Let me just tell you what I believe as much as my little mind could comprehend Scripture exactly where God's trying to lead us. If you're in charge of you, Jesus is not. He has to have all of you. So to die to self means that you give away the deed and the keys. And you say, it's all yours. You're in charge. Lead from here on out. I don't want any stake in the leadership of me leading forward. You've got to have it all. This is the struggle with Christian life. And if you've been burned inside a church world, this is why it happened. There is too many people claiming a Jesus that they have not given the keys to. They have not died to self. They have accepted self inside of Jesus. They have some self-help book that tells them as long as they're good, Jesus must be their Savior. But Jesus even says, there is none good. No, not one. No one seeks God. No one comprehends this. You can try all your best to be good. But here's the thing. Only God is good. And because of that, it's not based upon how good you can be. It is based upon how great God is. So to live in Jesus, we must die to self. We got to quit holding on to our image. We got to start holding on to the image of something that's better than we are. We got to start doing things differently. Look at athletes. These guys that rarely read very much, if they're being honest and will tell you so, look at what they read. They read biographies of people like Michael Jordan, of Joe Namath. And you know why? They try and implement what they do to be like them. You remember the, the theme song that used to be around while Michael Jordan was around? Nike came out and they said, like Mike, I want to be like Mike. That was the commercial. It wasn't even catchy. It was just being honest. People wanted to be like Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan was great. But listen, Michael Jordan doesn't have saving grace, nor is he an eternal being outside of God. So because of that, we have to read Scripture. We have to know it because in it we learn about a man named Jesus who lived a perfect life, who died willingly in our place so that we might have a way to the Father. And listen, I want to be like that. And you should want to be like that. And our churches need to be that. We have to start showing up. So let me give you some keys to death. And I believe it's found through joy. Here it is. Here's the J in your, in your thing. Jesus first. Put Jesus first and leave him there. No one else takes that spot. And if you find yourself slipping from that, repent. Repent is a word that means to turn from where you're going and go in the opposite direction. So at some point in our lives, those outside of Jesus have to repent. We have to stop what we're doing and turn to where God's leading us. So it's Jesus first. Here's your next. Others second. Others second. We have to put people 
after that. Jesus and then others. That's why Paul writes so much to the church about taking care of one another inside the church. If we took care of one another inside the church, you know what would happen? People would run over each other trying to get in this room because we're meeting each other's needs and taking care of one another. Problem is there's so many needs in this room that we're not addressing today in people's lives that we look just like the world. We just take care of us. They'll take care of them. That's not scriptural. We should know each other. We should sell our goods to help others. That's the calling of Christ. Jesus first, others second, you last. You last. And how do we catch this model? How do we find ourselves going that direction? How do we get to where we are today and into where God's calling us to do? How do we die to self? Well, we start to mimic the life of Jesus. Philippians 2.5 says this, Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. This is to mimic. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus is that good, because Jesus is that meaningful in our lives, we have opportunity to mimic his life. That's why we have the word. It's so that we would put it into our lives and we would start to emulate that with everything we do. How do we die to self? We start to look more like Jesus. Jesus empties himself completely. <clears throat> he is someone that could have taken his kingly realm right then and there the moment he was born. As a baby, he could have taken every right to rule the world right then. Instead, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death on the cross for you and I. So that we would have a way to the Father. Outside of Jesus, there, there just looks like there's too many ways done there. We're living in a generation where influential people in our time are starting to declare there has to be multiple ways to heaven. Look at how many good people are in so many good places. So there has to be a moment for us, a, maybe a defining line where we say this, either Jesus and the Bible are truth or they are a lie. Because it's incompatible to say there's any other way to the Father, any other way to heaven except through Jesus. If he is the way, the truth, and the life that he declares, he is the sole way to the Father. No other ways. No other paths. So today, we get to emulate somebody that's already paved the way. Any God who would show up and declare them to die and raise again and live eternally and follow through is worth following to me. No other man in history has ever done it. No one. No one's ever predicted it and it come through. Only Jesus. Not only is that, but listen to Mark 10, 45. It says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus models serving and putting others before himself. 
How do we die to self? We give away our instinct to feed ourselves and we feed others. How do we become like Jesus? How do we die to self like this? To live in Jesus, we must be obedient to him. That's how we do it. How do you die to self? You become obedient to what Jesus called you to do. Is it difficult? Yeah, because it's death. It doesn't say be unkind to self. It doesn't say trick yourself. It says bring death to the old way and start anew. It's death. Death is harsh. Death is a period, not a question mark. Remember scripture says it's appointed for man wants to be born and then to die. One thing we all have in common in this room is this. You were born. The other thing we have in common is we're all going to. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? You're like, thanks, Pastor Kyle. I was really filled today. I feel encouraged. I'm going to have to go listen to an encouraging pastor now on my way home. To die is the greatest honor that we could give God. I'm not talking about the flesh death. The flesh death is so short. It comes to anyone at any time, anywhere. But God calls us to die to self. To take note and to say, you don't belong to you anymore. Remember I said it, Michael Pinkston's one of my favorite quotes of all times he ever said is he'd look in the mirror and say you're going down today baby you don't even stand a chance we need those times in the mirror we need those times to say you don't belong to you anymore you're going down I belong to Jesus it's the greatest thing that we can do on his behalf is die to self so here's the last thought Luke 6 46 through 49 I want you to take time to find your Bible. I just want you to kind of see this vivid picture as Jesus is closing uh, out this thought. Um, I, I always find it fascinating when Jesus has these moments in Scripture that I, I don't think are out of context. I, I think they're just interesting why he says it when he says it. And, and then when we go back, we go, oh, oh my goodness. You see, the disciples have have been questioning and asking questions, and Jesus has just finished this amazing sermon about, uh, we call it the Beatitudes, this, your heart should be like this, and then you can feel like this, uh, love your enemies, don't judge, a uh, tree is known by its fruit, you either bear good fruit, and it's a good tree, or bad fruit, and it's a bad tree, and then he goes like this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I mean, he could have just stopped there. How do we know we're dying to self we start to do the things God called us to do when he says it my wife at school calls this first time obedience with her children she teaches it's when she asks them to do something and they instinctively do it right then first time obedience that's how we know we're dying to self I will show you Jesus says what someone is like who comes to me hears my words and acts on them he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock when the floods came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But 
The one who hears and does not act is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. Tomorrow, when you go to school, when you go to work, when you go to the store, you're on mission. You're on mission to show everybody around you what Jesus really looks like. You get to bear the image of the Creator tomorrow. And those of you in Christ need to come alive in Christ. You know, there's this shape of our church right here, these steps. We call it the altar. We call it the altar and I think too often we, we gloss by what it should be used for. In the Old Testament, there was an altar. And at that altar, people would bring their sacrifices and they would see them killed by the priest. And that priest would take the blood and he would sprinkle it as a sin offering. And what was dead there brought life as they left in God. Death happened at the altar. But life left there. Today, you may think you're really alive. But if you are not in Christ, you're a dead man walking. And that is not the life that Jesus called his people to live. He called them to life and life everlasting. Starting today, it should open up a life that is amazingly attached to the very nature of God. You get to bear not only the image of God, but you get to house the presence of God. You are a walking temple. Today is the day to lay at the altar the old self. Today someone needs to find their way to the altar and lay the old person down. And to say, you're not coming with me anymore. You're not the owner of this. Jesus is. And leaving here, you're staying at the altar. No more me. Only he. Somebody needs to lay themselves here and to say, I don't want to get up from this place until the old me is gone and the new one has come in Christ. And if that's you today, you need to find yourself here. You need to find yourself at your knees crying out at an altar to say, put to death the old way. Bring on the new woman. Bring on the new man. Bring on the new me. Because today is your day to live. It's not a day of death anymore. We don't carry around the old death anymore. We carry around a new life in Jesus. Do you need him today? And if so, find your way to the altar today. Do not wait anymore. Do not linger anymore. Don't give any more excuses anymore. Today is your day to be a new person in Jesus Christ. Do not wait anymore. No more excuses. No more waiting. Today is your day to live. Let's pray together. Father God, this is what we're asking, Lord, that you would start a fire in our church at Quail Creek of people who are truly alive. No more holding on to the old self. No more holding on to the old way. We don't want the old stuff anymore. We don't want what the world has for us. We want what you have for us in Jesus Christ. Because of that, we're going to pray for something, Lord, that you would bind the enemy from this room. 
that his lies would no longer be truths over us, that his ways would no longer be our ways, but we would hold on to a new way, to a new king, to the greater lion, that today we would hold on to the very foundation that brought us here, the very name of Jesus Christ. So today, Lord, speak over hearts. Lead us, God. Bring people to the altar. May we lay down the old self and hold on to the new way in Jesus Christ. No more keys, no more deeds. We're all yours, Lord. We pray this in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet, church. Come find your way to the altar right now. Let's go.